Well, a few years back, Julie and I were on vacation in another town, and it came time to eat lunch, and so we made our way to a local deli, and I placed the order while she sat at a table to reserve a spot for us. And I, I thought I was ordering something simple, but it became more than that. I, there's all kinds of stuff on the menu, and I just, she, the person behind the counter asked, what would you like to have? I said, well, how about, a, how about a sandwich? And the person behind the counter said, perfect. Wow, I didn't see that coming. I, I was just sandwiched, just right in there. Uh, so then the conversation continued, well, what, what kind of sandwich would you like to have? Um, a turkey sandwich, please. Perfect. Oh, man, two for two. This is unusual. I was just going for a solid B+, plus, but right in there, perfect. Okay. And the questions kept coming, and she asked, well, what, what do you want on your sandwich? <laughs> I just thought it came with stuff. Um, Mayo, lettuce, and tomato. Perfect. Oh, boy, this is really intriguing. I, you must be all those years of preaching where I just know how to deliver a, a line. Maybe because it rhymed, though. Tomato, lettuce, mayo. But anyway, um, just about the time I'm thinking I should buy some lottery tickets, another question came. Well, what, what kind of bread do you want in your sandwich? Wheat. And the person behind the counter said, perfect. Wow. Four for four. I, I'm texting my wife. You got to get over here and see perfection. This is just amazing. So th another question came. Well, what kind of cheese do you want in your sandwich? And at this point, I thought, okay, I'm a bit unconventional here. I'm not going to go with Swiss. This is not going to be perfect. So I'm bracing myself for some kind of a frown. And I said, cheddar. And the person behind the counter said, Perfect. Five for five. It's just amazing. I should be ordering sandwiches all day long. This is amazing, isn't it? Wow. And then I paid for the sandwich with a credit card, which was also perfect. Sat down at the table, and before I could take one bite to eat, I heard the next guy order, and he was also perfect. Okay, so if everybody's perfect, then really nobody is perfect. Yeah. Well, we live with reminders on a daily basis that we are not perfect people. Every parent can tell you that. They are not perfect. Probably every person who's married can tell you that they're not perfect. Everyone who works a job could tell you they're not perfect. Everyone who has circumstances or situations in life that are less than desirable know that they have not responded perfectly. We live with daily reminders that we are not perfect. So how can an, a not perfect person establish and maintain a relationship with a perfect God? We're about to find out. In the Gospel of John, a whole lot of conversations are recorded that Jesus had with people. Gospel of John, as we've become somewhat acquainted with it so far, we have learned that John just does not tell us a recitation of facts. It's not an information dump. John records a lot of individual, personalized conversations that Jesus had with people. 
One of those conversations was with a gentleman who would have been perhaps perceived and perhaps he would have even thought that he was practically perfect in every way. His name was Nicodemus. Let's find out about him and see where this conversation goes. And I want you to know as I take you through this this morning, my aim is to show you that Jesus offers new life in him. Not a way to be perfect or to live a perfect life, but a way to live a new life is what Jesus offers. So review is reading the first two verses of John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. You might just have a Jewish ruler. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. Here's five things. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus is a very nice religious person. He's described as a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council or a Jewish ruler. That's the Sanhedrin which is like the Jewish religious supreme court of the ancient world. In a nation where there were two million people, only 70 were chosen to be a part of the Sanhedrin, a Jewish ruler. In other words, Nicodemus is top dog. It just not anybody could attain to this, but he has. He's in a very exclusive club of 70. We're told here he's a Pharisee, and that means he's separated from the rest of the world, or so they thought. They were the law keepers, the rule keepers. They were custodians of the law. Their desire is to live a good life, a life that is pleasing to God, but over time, their focus became external obedience only. In other words, duty over heart. And the heart probably didn't even matter anymore. Sometimes it's possible to think of the Pharisees as members of the dark side of the force, as if they were always mean and never nice and were led by Darth Vader and wore black. Well, not really. They were trying to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. They were working hard, but working hard in the wrong way. If you lived in the ancient world, in fact, you might like to have a Pharisee as your neighbor. If you played any kind of Bible trivia games and a Pharisee was on your team, you would win. If you wanted your lawn mowed, ask the son or a daughter of a Pharisee and it would be mowed to perfection. If you attended some type of a competition for religious fashion, a Pharisee would win. They kept the rules. They kept the laws. If uh, you sent your kids to Awana, you might notice that the sons and daughters of Pharisees finish their books before your kids finish their books. You might like that as a positive type of peer pressure. You might like having a Pharisee as a neighbor. But John tells us that Jesus wasn't impressed with any of that. Nicodemus uses these words and phrases to compliment Jesus or to 
speak impressively of him. And, and these are impressive. He calls them rabbi and a teacher from God. The rest of the Pharisees weren't thinking that. No one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus is accused later on in the Gospel of John of being against God somehow, that the devil is with him. So Nicodemus is fairly unique in that way, but he comes at night. He doesn't want people to see that a rule keeper has come to talk with Jesus. Verse 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It might feel to you as if Jesus has changed the subject. Nicodemus has heaped some praises on Jesus, and rather than saying anything about the positive nature of Nicodemus' words, Jesus says, you need to be born again. In other words, Jesus is going for what Nicodemus really needs to hear. Never mind the super, superficials. Let's just cut to the chase. Nicky, you need to be born again. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. What Jesus is simply saying is this. In order to live a human life, you have to be born. In order to live a Christian life, you have to be born spiritually. Born physically, born spiritually. And Nicodemus obviously is confused. He's having a hard time processing this information. One of the reasons why Nicodemus is having a hard time processing through what he has just heard is that his religious heritage has taught him that every Jew is automatically a part of the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter what you have done necessarily, but for the most part you are in unless something really, really bad happens or that you do something really, really bad, then you are out. Here's a uh, statement from there. Standard, everybody needs to read this commentary called the Mishnah. All Israelites will share in the world to come. That's the basic trajectory of the Old Testament Jew. They're on their way to heaven unless something really, really bad derailed them. The Mishnah also includes some examples of people who won't make it. Just a very few exceptions. Basically, everybody's in, but there's just a few who will not make it. They list as the exceptions the three worst kings in Israel's history. They're not going to make it, and their names actually appear in the Mishnah. Also, the uh, collection of the spies who brought back a negative report and, and, and uh, created Fear and sparked a, a sense of disobedience in the people where they would not go into the promised land. They're not going to make it, so says the Mishnah. And then in general, murderers and people who are really, really bad idolaters, they're not going to make it. But everybody else will. If you think about it, our culture is not too far from that. By and large, the voice, the voice of our culture says that everybody is on a trajectory to heaven, to a positive afterlife. Virtually everyone is going to make it except, you know, Hitler and Stalin and some really, really bad people. But otherwise, you are in unless something super bad happens and you're out. But Jesus didn't see it that way. 
In saying that you must be born again, Jesus is saying you are out unless something supernatural occurs and then you are in. Jesus said you must be born again. John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I struggled with this for a long time. Born of the water. Flesh gives no one can enter the kingdom unless he is born of water and the Spirit. I tried on a couple ideas that resonated with me for a while. I mean, really years in my younger days. Born of water sounded like baptism. Well, you get, you get baptized and, and, and you become a Christian. If you become a Christian, you get baptized. It just seemed like that might be what it's thinking talking about, but if you think about it, Nicodemus would not have known anything about Christian baptism. That just simply wasn't around at the time. I think in terms of baptism, well, there's a pastor there, and he puts the person down and says some things. Nicodemus wouldn't have been thinking that. Might not have even understood these words as Jesus intended them to be understood. The next, day I, the next idea I tried on was the Babies being um, in the womb with amniotic fluid. You know, basically that's water. So born the first time, born of water, born the second time, born of spirit. I mean, maybe, that's, maybe that's what that means. No. Permit me to get just a bit technical for a moment. You'll thank me later. In verse 5, there's one preposition, and I make no claim to be on the grammar police team. But in, one, in verse 5, I notice there's, there's one preposition. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. It doesn't say born of water and born of the Spirit, as if there would be two things. It phrases it in such a way that the preposition refers to one thing, born of water and the Spirit. The water and the spirit are one thing. But also, Jesus makes use of parallels. Do you see in in John chapter 3, as I read from the NIV, it it says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. It might be a bit easier if we just put this with the, uh, defer to the ESV. Trying to turn this on. Oh, here we go. Turn it on helps. Now I can go. So, unless, unless one is something, and then in verse 5, Jesus says, this, in essence, the same thing, unless one is something. So whatever comes after this phrase, unless one is, it needs to mean the same thing for both sentences. Because Jesus is telling the truth, 
He's a man of integrity. His words will be consistent. So whatever we have, find in verse 3, that needs to be equal to what we find in verse 5. So let's finish this, the phrase here. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and we know that's one thing, unless one is born of water and Spirit, equals born again. To be born of water and spirit is to be born again. It's not a separate action. It's not later. This is a work that God does to generate life where life did not exist before. You are born spiritually. You are born again. Born into this world the first time. Born again spiritually the second time. This becomes even more clear when we look at the correction that Jesus gave to Nicodemus. Now, we stopped short of this, but let's read on with verse 9. Nicodemus asked this great question. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. And verse 10, here's, the, here's a mild rebuke that Jesus gives to Nicodemus. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Think about it. If he's a Pharisee, a keeper of the law, somebody who's memorized large portions of the law, somebody who loves the law and lives the law and teaches other people the law, and Jesus says to him, hey, wait a minute. You are Israel's teacher, and you don't understand what I'm talking about? What that means is the answer, or I guess the, the explanation of what it means to be born of water and the Spirit lies in the Old Testament because that's what Nicodemus would have been teaching. Okay, so let's turn back in the Old Testament, and it helped me to have a Bible commentary and a um, Bible reference, uh, a reference Bible. I'm going to turn to the book of Ezekiel, if you could also please. It's, it's a, a good thing to find Ezekiel every once in a while so that you know it's actually in the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 37 or excuse me, chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to pick it up in the middle of a chapter that's talking about the physical and spiritual restoration of Israel. They're being restored to the land. They're being reconciled with the Lord. Uh, book of Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm just going to jump in and start reading with verse 24. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. That's the physical restoration. There also needs to be spiritual reconciliation. Let's take a look at verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Very often in the Old Testament, water in religious rituals is a symbolize, or symbolizes cleansing and forgiveness. Water cleanses from impurity. But Ezekiel goes past that when he looks forward. Let's look at verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give to you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit in you and move you or cause you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is like a spiritual heart transplant performed by God. This is an Old Testament prediction of the new covenant that um, Jesus alludes to when he, gives to when he has this conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Born of water and the Spirit signals a new birth that both cleanses and changes. Or if you like the word transform, it's cleanse and transform. I see the essence of the gospel as life transformation through Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, it is your reasonable expectation that you will live a new life. Do you see the emphasis, though, on what God will do? Starting with uh, verse 26, I will give. I will give, I will sprinkle, I will cleanse, I will remove, I will put. This is all the work of God. That is perhaps why Jesus uses born again as an analogy. When you are born, who contributes to the birth of you? <laughs> you don't. It's all on the other person. When you are born spiritually, you don't contribute anything to being born spiritually. God does it all. With born again, God cleanses and God changes. God has done it all. Nicodemus does not need new habits. He needs a new heart. Nicodemus does not need a new lifestyle. He needs a new life. And Jesus is making it clear based on Old Testament prediction and promise that he is here to fulfill that and to make sure it happens in the life of those, the lives of those who believe. The outcome and the cleansing of the new heart is a new life. And the new life should look new. So when you become a Christian, there's more than becoming a person who is nice you're actually becoming a person who is new, and that's different. The theological term that we like to bounce around sometimes is regeneration. New life is a regenerated life. If you're a Christian, you were once physically alive and spiritually dead. Now you are physically alive and spiritually alive. Okay, back to the Gospel of John, and this time I want you to stop at John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1. And we'll look at uh, another occasion when Jesus, or I guess John actually, refers to Jesus and uses the, the term born one more time. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Speaking of Jesus, John says this, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. There's nothing in here about living a perfect life, is there? That's because your efforts toward perfection become a non-issue when you want to begin a relationship with God. 
Now, your effort will be very important post-conversion in the sense of making a daily decision to follow Jesus, but only as you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not like you were born again, the Holy Spirit does it all, and then for the rest of your life as a Christian, you live on your own with no power given to you from God whatsoever. It's not like that at all. You need Holy Spirit empowerment to be born spiritually. You need Holy Spirit empowerment to follow Jesus Christ and actually be his disciple. Repetition in scripture is emphasis. So now I'm turning back to John chapter 3 and I'm finding six times when there, Jesus refers to being born again or born from above. You might have that. Verse 3, no one can enter the kingdom, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 7, you need to be born again. And now it could, um, Jesus tacks this sentence on that I skipped over earlier, but it was read twice already in today's service. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of, born of the Spirit. The act of generating life where life did not exist is an act of the Holy Spirit. Again, if you're a Christian, there is some period of time in your past when you were walking around physically alive and yet spiritually dead, and then God made you alive spiritually as you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's why we have Jesus saying, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is more than you make the decision to become a Christian. More than you sign up to be on the squad. More than you join the team. More than you choose Jesus. More than that. The Holy Spirit works in you to give life where life did not exist before. And this is spoken to a man who was known for good works. Jesus, in essence, is saying that the kingdom of God cannot be achieved. It needs to be received. Christians, this is how you need to explain the gospel. Don't tell people they need to be nice. They need to be new. They need a new life. They need to be born again. Missionaries, we are joining in support to send you to Austria to tell people these things. Tell people they need to be born again, and then tell them again. Now, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you with this. Believe that you have a new life, and live your new life. Living as a Christian is not about trying to be perfect or keeping a bunch of rules. Living as a Christian is simply living who you are. For instance, if you are a Christian, and if you have ever heard yourself say or think, you know, that's just my personality. You're not living as a Holy Spirit-empowered person. You've limited yourself. Why? Why would you want to do that? You're not stuck with your personality. As if you could say, legitimately, as if you could say this, well, I'll, I'll never change. That's just me. 
That's the way I am. I'm impatient. I have a temper. I say things. I do things. I this, that, and the other. Are you suggesting that your personality is stronger than the Holy Spirit? That you're just stuck in this mode and God himself cannot extricate you? Is that what we're hearing? Is that what you're thinking? No. Christian, you have a new life. Live your new life. And you can't do it by trying harder. You can only do it with Holy Spirit empowerment. Have you ever thought of taking that which ails you and struggles, you, causes you to struggle and challenges you and target that in prayer? I mean, hang on to this in prayer for an extended period of time. I have found that very often God chooses a process that involves time in, a for, in order for us to be able to see his grace at work in our lives. If you've prayed once or twice or short term and you have not experienced the new life, or new life in a certain area, you've prayed too short. Could you give God a chance to work in you? It might be you that's the stumbling block. If you're not a Christian, you need to be born again. You don't need to form your life to a, a code or a rule book. You don't need to impress me. And you don't need to try to change by writing post-it notes. You need to be born again. You need a new life. Now, I'm not making this up. I'm just reading this out of the Bible. Jesus said, you need to be born again. If that's your need this morning, you can pray with me. I'm going to close in just a moment, but I'll say one more time. Christians, live your new life. It is there for you. Jesus has purchased a new life for you on the cross. Would you come to him? Let's pray. Dear God, this new life that you give to us is something that I think surprises us still. We didn't think we deserved that. We didn't think we earned that. And sometimes it just doesn't feel like we have access to that. But that's what we want. We want the new life that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. We would love to see this new life replace our limitations or at least the limitations that we've declared ought to be so teach us dear god what it means to live a life empowered by the holy spirit we know he resides within us we want him to do his great work in our lives my friends, if it's your need this morning to come to Christ for cleansing and forgiveness, change and transformation, pray with me now. 
Dear God, this morning I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus Christ and through his merit and his offer of being born again. Lord, I'm laying claim on that. That's what I need in my life. I repent, ask for forgiveness of my sins. I pray that you'd cleanse me of those things that are awful in your sight. And then continue this process or begin this process of making me new. That I might live a new life. Not an old and improved life somehow. I need a brand new life. That's what I'm asking for. Please grant that to me. Again, in the name of Jesus, I am coming to you. God, thank you for that conversations like this one in John chapter 3 were recorded for us that we can learn from something that happened so long ago and yet it feels present tense because that's our need today to live a new life empowered by the Holy Spirit and yet following Jesus in his name I bring this prayer amen